Hello, we welcome you all to another episode of the Cosmic Matrix podcast with your guests, uh, Bernhard Günther and my wife, Laura Matsu. And in this episode, we'll show you five ways to improve your relationships and much more. And relationship is a big, big topic that's coming up for people more and more in this day and age based on the splitting of humanity we've talked about many times over on this podcast and in also recent articles I wrote as well as the all kind of medical quote-unquote tyranny that's happening out there and the globalization so relationships are fluctuation you know a lot of breaks up a lot of struggles so we're going to give you guys some tips of how to navigate this relationship realm and on that note we'll also be having um, in-depth course on relationships later this year so keep out uh for that, you know, sign up to my newsletter on veilofreality.com as well to be updated for any new offerings. So just to give a little overview in this podcast, we'll be going deeper into the art of listening and specific communication skills. And also that there are three parts to work on in a relationship. We go deeper into that. The five A's or five ways, we'll dive deeper in these uh, five essential aspects of a relationship and, and to understand them and also in the second hour then we go deeper into anima animus dynamics that's in-depth young in psychology very important to understand and how this plays out in relationship and also how we uh, the kind of determines what kind of partners we attract or attracted to and also developmental trauma it's a very big one in this day and age so we need to understand developmental trauma what it is how this relates to shame how to heal it and again how this plays out mostly unconsciously in relationships so let's start off with number one obviously the most important part in relating any relationship but especially intimate relationship is the art of listening and communication skills Yeah, so basically, you know, before we get into the five A's, we're just going to go over some fundamental tools that you need for any relationship. And this just doesn't apply to just romantic relationships. It applies to all relationships. So I just want to preface this with saying that there's nothing wrong with needing or wanting a relationship. In fact, all of life is relationships. And from my own create more crazier psychedelic trips, I've realized that we're actually connected to everything in relationship. Sometimes we feel this more acutely in nature, but the fact of the matter is, is like we are really connected by a web of relationships, whether we're consciously engaging with them or not. And I know during these times, especially with the lockdowns and everything that's happened, a lot of people have gone into like this isolation. Many people were maybe in isolation before. And I want to also point out that, you know, overly isolating yourself, it tends to be a denial of this basic need for relationships. So I just want to say that, you know, that we all need relationships and that we are already all in relationships in order to learn and grow. So even if you're not in a romantic relationship, even applying these to people that you work with or people that you even come across in the grocery store or whatever, all of this matters. All of this is your web of relationships. It keeps you going, basically. Yeah. So it's not just defined to romantic relationships, but everywhere you can apply these. In fact, actually, I find the more deeper, if you do have a romantic relationship Uh, or you're married or you're in a long-term relationship, you know, the more that you actually work on these relationship skills in your relationship, the more it can also bleed out to the world and vice versa. So just know that these are universally applicable to every relationship that you have. Um, yes? I'm just going to add to that. I mean, very good point, um, almost to, uh, to set the stage that I would even argue that relationships is all there is, all that exists, how you relate, not only intimate relationship, but to anyone, strangers, online, offline, family, friends, all of that, how you relate to things, your food, information. It's all about relating relationships, but obviously we're talking about human relationships right now. And what we talk about, you're right, we, you can really apply this to any type of relationship as well. Yeah, so the art of listening and communication skills is really key because we have to get comfortable with revealing how we feel to really describing our feelings, our thoughts without blaming, accusing, or na name calling. And when we get um, comfortable with learning how to communicate our feelings, 
then we also allow true relationship to arise. So if you're not used to being vulnerable and sharing your feelings with other people, I understand that some relationships it's maybe not appropriate for that depending on the level of intimacy that's involved, but that's the basic skill because you have to be open to letting another person get to know you. And that involves skills in communication and listening. And so on the listening side, an effective listener has to be able to listen calmly without taking it personally, without trying to interject with their perspective. And they also have to be willing to be, like, be curious about the other person, ask them questions, develop an interest in them and what they're trying to share. And also another crucial skill is being able to repeat back what you heard. So this is a big issue that I see everywhere these days is like, reading comprehension has gone super like way down. So like you post something on social media, you say something to someone and it goes in one ear. And when it travels out the other ear, the way that they heard it is like entirely different to what you meant. And that's a listening and communication thing. So we have to be able to kind of repeat back what we heard to the other person to make sure that we got it right. And by the way, it doesn't mean that this like, Bernhard and I deal with this all the time. We do it all the time in our relationship. We have to repeat back what the other person said, and then the other person can clarify if we got it right or there are missing points, you know? This is like such a lost art in these days because usually people just kind of talk over each other and they um, and they also kind of like... Uh, basically kind of force their own point of view or they move into fixing the person right away. And this is not what listening and communication skills we're talking about. Yeah. It's so key point. And it's easier said than done. It's it's actually easier and more like casual friends, maybe acquaintances or even strangers, right? To listen and communicate. But once you engage in an intimate relationship, in a committed relationship, right and feelings come up and um, you're falling in love the romantic phase and all of that a lot of stuff gets activated which will then go deeper in the second hour because then sometimes the, the art of listening and communicating is easier said than done if our unconscious trauma comes up or our shadow comes up as it tends to happen in relationship intimate relationship right and there's a purpose for that to bring out this un up unconscious material out of the shadows which necessarily wouldn't come up when you're just by yourself so that's a deeper meaning or yeah the purpose of relationships for this deeper work which is again like i said is meant to bring up stuff that wouldn't have come up if we would just be by ourselves and that ties into anima animas we're going on into a deeper ties into attachment as well exactly all these things and i can see myself sometimes in our relationship we can easily get into conflict we speak over each other we then instead of really listening and taking in we right away get into defensive mode right mm -hmm. or we blame the other person criticizing instead of speaking from an i place And it also, so many factors come in, also nervous system regulation, all of that self, basic self-awareness, but the listening communication skill is key because most of us, we also then sometimes, even on social media, or even if, when we talk to strangers or have a debate with somebody, like Laura just said, we just want to get our point across. We already think of what we want to say without truly listening to the other person. Yeah. And if that's the case, you know, I've noticed. So if I kind of get, you know, if I kind of get into conversations with people who misunderstood what I was trying to say, sometimes through me developing curiosity and asking them questions and clarifying, I can get them to kind of step back from their projections, you know, but yeah. one person has to be curious, regulated. And also, you know, it's a big skill, especially in these ages with this constant like polarization that's going on is like, can you listen to what someone else says and empathize with them even without even agreeing with it? That's, that's such an important skill. Like that's really like a high level relationship skill. And I think that if we can learn how to do that, a lot of this kind of intense polarization can calm down a little bit because, you know, the forces in power do feed off of this divide and conquer that's going on. And I see, and it doesn't mean that you have to get into debates with people about every single topic, especially when people have uh, bad faith arguments, meaning they're trying to just debate with you to just convince you, you know, that's not true listening, but it's revealing about, you know, how you feel, 
what you want, describing those feelings and thoughts without blaming, accusing, name calling. And the more that you are able to do this with someone that truly listens, the more that you actually find out about yourself. So that's the whole, that's how it becomes healing basically. So if you can get a really good kind of listener and communicator who's really in in a dynamic together, then usually the person who's communicating will discover things about themselves that they didn't even realize because someone is truly listening. And that's what's so magical about it. That's why, again, I uh, kind of repeat it over and over again in anything, like especially in the great work, any self-work or any deeper work, especially within relationships, it's so important to have you know, regulate your nervous system to be able to have the witness, to observe it, the self-awareness, so we just don't become mechanically reactive as most of us are unconsciously, Yeah. right? Because if you have the self-awareness, then you can become more curious instead of furious, as the saying goes, and be more like, you know, be more observant. How, why is my partner reacting this way? How I, come I am reacting this way? And just observing that our emotional fluctuation, which most of the time happen very reactively rather than consciously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, and this kind of leads to our kind of second introduction point. You have to get out of I and also move into we. It doesn't mean that you abandon yourself, but just to understand there's three parts to work on in, in each relationship. There's each individual themselves with their own feelings, history, personality, traumas, you know, each person. And then there's the relationship between you. And so like energetically, like when you join together, I mean, you see this in the composite chart, which is basically like a, like the midpoint between both of your charts, the composite chart in astrology shows the essence of your relationship, but you don't even need to know the composite chart. You can just feel that when you're in relationship, you know how you're different with some people and the dynamics different with other people. That's that shared energy, you know? So you want to also think about the energetic kind of connection between you how does that feel you know does it feel like there's walls up does it feel that there's elephants there that you need to talk about like so there's this kind of like energetic flow between two individuals that happens too that you want to pay attention to so we're not kind of just focusing on each individual and their needs but we're also understanding that the relationship is a we there's an there's a third part that gets created out of any any relational dynamic, whether it's a person at the grocery store or it's a person that you married. So just to understand that, you know, and there's all sorts of ways that we communicate unconsciously. And we also show our attachment patterns in any relational dynamic. So, you know, our nervous systems communicate to each other under the surface. So our nervous systems are constantly checking out other people as safe or dangerous. Um, and just so you know, as well, if you do carry unresolved trauma, the, the, the thing that could be a barrier or something that you're going to have to work on is your nervous system may actually perceive dangerous people as safe because you were used to a dangerous environment grow, growing up. But basically, if our nervous system is op- operating optimally, we feel safe, connected, present, you know, we'll be able to naturally relate to other people. That's, yeah. the, po- that's the point. Exactly. Now, these three parts of working is very important to understand. So... When we talk about, let's talk about also a conscious relationship. What is a conscious relationship, right? It's never fully conscious because a lot of unconscious stuff comes up. And then how you deal with it, work with it in a mature, self-aware manner, that makes a relationship conscious. It brings consciousness. Or brings consciousness to the relationship. And there's tremendous growth in that. And the reason, but for that, a conscious relationship, we mentioned that before, must be based on growth both partners are willing to grow and growth is not pleasant sometimes it pushes out of comfort zone stuff comes up we get triggered right if you're looking just for romantic bliss for the rest of your life with somebody to uh, drive off the into the sunset like hollywood has taught us you will be disappointed over and over and over again or same example if in a relationship and stuff comes up and instead of working consciously and just mechanically break up looking for the next person um, that's also not the resolve, right? But Laura made a really important point. Each relationship is very different as well. It, it has its own quote-unquote entity, its own energy. Even Carl Jung famously said that each uh, partner in a relationship has a certain chemical constitution and then the relationship, alch- alchemy alchemy happens and a third um, persona emerges. emerges, so to speak. And that's actually beautifully 
symbolized in, in astrology with a composite chart, which is its own chart, the, the energy of the relationship, as opposed to the natal chart. Yeah. And the problem in, or the issue most people run into, not understanding this we, that there's a relationship dynamic, that then people are so stuck in their own, um, in this narcissistic way, of wanting to change the other person or have certain perceptions and I want this way, but don't really, cannot really relate, so to speak, mm. not only to the other person as an individual, but then to the relationship as a whole. Yeah. Right? So that's really key to understand. Well, usually, all, I mean, we have this really, it was one of my favorite podcasts from Karmic uh, Relationships to Divine Union, was it called? or from our, our one? Yeah, from Karmic and Toxic Relationships. To, to Divine Union, yeah, that was yeah. Uh, 85. So yeah. that, that that's a really important one to wa to listen to, rather, um, because we go super in-depth about romantic projections and yes. relationships and why why those have to fall eventually. Um, but usually when we're trying to change the partner, I mean, number one, it can be an anima animus thing, meaning we're projecting our own unacknowledged or unexpressed masculine or feminine traits onto our partner, expecting them to live it out for us. Um, and another thing, it can be trying to force our partner to fulfill unfulfilled childhood needs. It's a big one. And, you know, I also want to say that in a way... You know, two healthy people orientated towards growth who have imperfect histories and relationship, developmental traumas, maybe even more, um, you know, uh, complex trauma or whatever, that will tend to come up to get healed in relationship eventually. So it's not like you're not going to have unfulfilled childhood needs come up in relationship unless you grew up with secure attachment and, you're, and you don't have any unfulfilled childhood needs. Which is very, very rare, I would add. Yeah, that. I meet people with secure attachment and I can almost like they have a different essence to them um, who grew up with secure attachment rather. But regardless, you know, so to almost like leave. So, so don't expect your partner to come in and suddenly make you able to regulate your emotions, to love yourself, to fill in all the holes of, that you feel within yourself. That's not the point, you know, is that each partner has to be almost like fi have done like 50%. What was it, David Rico? That's, yeah, we're going with the self work. Exactly. Basically, each, just to, just to finish, each yeah. partner needs to have done a certain amount of self work in these areas we're about to talk about so that they're able, even able to relate to themselves in a healthy way. Because really, the more that you're able to relate to yourself, be in tune with your own emotions, your own needs, you know, be able to communicate that, the easier it is going to be when you go out in the world and you have to start relating to people. And I have to say that can take practice, especially if you are dealing with major trauma that you're trying to heal from. And, and in fact, if that's the case, the best thing you can do is to go out and start conversations with people and learn how to just relate to people in that basic way. It doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it means that you're going to be in this process of kind of pushing on your growth edge and also seeing how your attachment patterns show up in relationship. Yeah. That's a big thing. So it's really easy to understand your attachment patterns in relationship when you go out there in the world and you see, oh, do I tend to shut down? Do I get anxious? Do I get avoidant? Do I get fearful? All of these are signs. Or do I just feel good with myself? In which case, you're probably not going to be interested in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of David Rico, we're going to go deep in some of uh, his concepts in his book, How to Be an Adult in Relationship, which is a phenomenal book read this many, many years ago. I'll talk about it in a second. But I just wanted to uh, explain more in depth what Laura just mentioned. Um, David Rico meant, meant, said that, you know, the best way to get into a relationship is when you have done already 50% of self-work, right? And that's a very uh, abstract number. How can you measure 50% having done your self-work? Well, basically what he means is that you have enough self-awareness that you can spot your triggers. You have also a certain understanding of relationship psychology, right? Hmm. That is also very important. That's another topic. Laura talked about this a lot as well. People want to get in all kinds of conscious relationship looking for the perfect partner, but they don't take the time to understand and study basic relationship psychology, including shadow work. Very important. And early childhood development. Exactly. So 
what and David how Rick, that and how that affected you relationally i think would be the biggest piece too yes exactly so david rico talked about this 50% to have the self awareness to spot your triggers not that you don't get triggered but to be aware of it to be curious hmm, what what does it remind me of right because he understands basic relationship psychology that most people in relationship unconsciously get want to get their unfulfilled childhood needs met through the partner yeah and that's that's the majority of a lot of co uh, conflict and a lot of breakups because of this game of trying to get fulfilled these uh, these unfulfilled childhood needs met through the other partner, which is not the partner's responsibility to fulfill, and he or she cannot even fulfill. But we need to be aware of that. That's the key point, right? Yeah. Uh, another thing is also emotional intelligence in the sense that we don't blame our partners for the way we feel. We need to take responsibility for the way we feel, right? Obviously, that doesn't imply to... Um, be stuck in uh, not stand up for ourselves in abusive relationships and all of that but there needs to be a certain psychological awareness and maturity and while understanding that a lot of stuff i've experienced it myself there's only so much self-work i could do by myself and the next step was with law a lot of stuff came up and still is coming up in our relationship which wouldn't have come up just being by myself because it needs to get triggered in a relationship yeah so this has its purpose you know in the bigger picture to um, as Carl Jung would say in light of shadow work to move us towards wholeness wholeness and integration and for that work that work can also speed up in a relationship right there's even from a spiritual perspective uh, I just want to mention this on the side note in Esoteric Christianity that he talks about this polar couple of on a high level of being that can really uh, catapult each other's evolution spiritual evolution to a higher level if both people are willing to do the work together yeah, exactly. And the reason that the stakes go up in our intimate relationships is because the stronger the attachment, the more likely those early childhood patterns of attachment will come up. So you're going to care way more and you're going to have your quote unquote stuff come up way more once there's an established friendship, relationship, it's, you know, there's intimacy. And I'm not just talking about physical intimacy, I mean, intimacy, sharing your feelings and being vulnerable. That's when the stuff comes up. So, you know, there's a growth edge. And I have to say, from speaking from personal experience, you know, I would say that when I would be most classified under disorganized attachment, which is basically one of the hardest attachment patterns to work with, because it's like a combination of both. And I'm very, you know, like the, it's just disorganized. It's basically the hardest to work out. But what I have to say is that also with all of my learning and application of trauma work, and especially in this relationship with Bernhard, is I've been able to work out some pretty profound attachment wounds, but it did take me stepping into my discomfort zone when i heard okay you know learning how to just kind of have conversations with people and relate to the world again is a huge aspect of trauma healing even though i would rather shut down and just avoid and just be a hermit you know i can see that it's healthy and i engage with it routinely because i know that it helps me you know so it actually requires your participation in relationships to heal early relationship trauma that's the key thing and it's it can be the scariest thing in the world for some people who have major attachment trauma but it can also be the most fulfilling and healing thing in the world as well so how about uh, we talk about the five a's because yeah. we want to make sure to cover those now and i think we can speak about each of those as we go along right can i preface this before we dive into it real quick um so the five a's or five ways to improve your relationship so that's based on david rico's book which i just mentioned and from his book how to be an adult in relationships and that book has been out for a while it came it was uh, published in 2002 but you know uh, i i highly recommend it I've been uh, aware of David Rico's work for many years. Uh, he has some great work, uh, books out on shadow work as well, uh, which I got into in the 90s. And, and a little side note on, on how I came across this book is very fascinating. Uh, in what's, what's 2022? Yeah, almost 10 years ago or nine years ago, I went through a really intense breakup. Um, and all my stuff came up, you know, my own traumas and all of that was, you know, my been through extreme disillusionment process you know uh was was very traumatizing the, the breakup in itself and i remember i had to move out and all of that staying in a hotel but anyway so i remember like doing this phase of this i had to I stay I stay i went to a coffee shop uh one day just to for breakfast to get my coffee and then i noticed this book somebody left literally left this book on the table and it was 
How to Be an Adult in Relationships by David Rico, right? It was just such a divine grace moment, like really giving me to me that book, which I needed so desperately to understand what was going on because I needed to take responsibility. And it was a great example, also God or divine or divine forces. Synchronicity. You know, the synchronicity to help you, to help yourself, not to do the work for you, right? So it was fascinating. So that, that book, book literally landed in my hands. And it was, was a great synchronicity too, because as I just mentioned, I already had some books from David Rico years before that, but I kind of lost track of that. So I, I knew the author, but I wasn't aware that he had this book. And that really helped me to dive deeper. And he's, he combines Buddhism with uh, Jungian psychology, with the mythology, the hero's journey, and how this relates to the relationship journey and all of that. But what I realized in this book as well, that you know a lot of our, un, what I just mentioned before, our unfulfilled childhood needs, which we didn't get met by our caretakers, right? Because no, none of our parents are perfect. Then we try to get meet through our partner, like, as my ex-partner was trying to get me through her, through me, or I through her, and we'd play the shadow dance, right, where our parental images come up, so to speak. But this is a little side note on the side story. It was really fascinating how this book came, like, it fell literally in my lap. That's what I'm, I want to say. Whenever we're going through hardship, you know, there is guidance, there is synchronicities. The teacher appears when the student is ready. The teacher appeared in the form of this book, <laughs> you know, ten years ago for me. So. There's that, but we also need to be sincere and engage and ask and all of that and understand that no one is going to do the work for us, but we're being assisted in the work. Yeah. So in this book, he specifically talks about really uh, differentiating between unfulfilled childhood uh, needs. We're trying to get through our partner, which is impossible. We need to reparent ourselves and give those needs to ourselves. However, there are also authentic, mature adult needs to be fulfilled in a relationship. And those, both of these needs re relate to these five A's. Okay, so I'm going to just list off the five A's and we're going to uh, go into them one by one and share our thoughts about it. So the first A is attention, acceptance, appreciation, affection, and allowing. And these first begin as needs, ideally, and I say ideally because it doesn't happen all the time, to be fulfilled by our parents And then they become needs fulfilled by our partners and even other relationships as well. And then they become the gifts that we have to offer others in the world. And this also maps on perfectly to developmental trauma because to the extent that you had these needs given, uh, met for you early on is to the extent you effortlessly can offer it in relationship to your partner and the entire world. So we internalize the way that our parents treat us. And this all happens super unconsciously. And then it just becomes the way that we meet the world. And so in the second hour, we're going to go into the developmental traumas and can actually get into the way of us offering similar skills because some of these map on perfectly to the developmental trauma model as well. So the first one is attention, which basically means attunement. So are you able to attune to the, the other person, how they're feeling, who they are? You can attune if you assume certain feelings. You need to be neutral, mindful. It requires genuine interest and curiosity. This doesn't mean that you're like a mind reader, you know? But like if Bernhard comes in the room and he like sighs and he like, I can see that he's obviously frustrated or upset about something. Can I be open to emphasizing, to asking questions, to being curious? Or do I, which would be a trauma response, What are you doing? Why are you feeling that way? You know, if your parent was someone who acted that way, you know, you would reject certain feelings in other people. So you're going to say something about that, honey? Yeah, I mean, I just want to clarify, uh, give a great quote also based on this attention and human, what it truly means. Because most of us, it, it tracks a certain sensitivity in our levels and a certain focus because many of us are preoccupied. We don't really pay attention. We think something else while we're looking at our partner, you know. So a little excerpt from David Rico's book. Attention to you means engaged focus on you. It means sensitivity to your needs and feelings. For example, did your parents pay at least as much attention to you as they did to the TV? Did your father notice and attend to your feelings and fears with the same care he showed his car? Mm. Did he ever concentrate on you for as long as he did on the ball game? So that's really what it comes down to, right? It's yeah. very important to understand. And, when, and it requires, again, we also need to be mindful not to blame our parents because They have their own generation, you know. We even talked about recently trauma and developmental trauma. All this is 
just came more popularized recently over the past 10 years. Yeah. Right. So they were not aware of certain things. Um, and there, it requires a certain emotional intelligence as well to give this kind of intention and sensitivity yeah. as well. And, you know, many of our parents were also wounded to varying degrees. So we need to also see this with compassion, but still understanding, you know, um, what intention and in attunement really entails. Yeah, exactly. And it does take a regulated nervous system. Like if I'm in fight or flight, or if I'm really unwilling to accept certain feelings in another person. So if I'm like, stay positive all the time kind of person, what I'm going to do is I'm going to misattune any feelings that do not fit with the acceptable feelings. That's, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I just want to add to that. Uh, we cannot attune if we assume certain feelings are right and others are wrong yeah. when we judge right away, yeah. right, condemn. To attune to someone, we need neutrality toward all feelings, moods, and inner states and the fearless openness of mindfulness. So attunement also relates to mindfulness in the Buddhist concept, so to speak, um, or kind, compassion, kind, kindness, compassion, what is it called in Buddhism? Loving kindness. Loving kindness, yes. Only with such pure attention can we see beyond... Um, terror so to speak beyond the stolidity of his turmoil you know when somebody is you know emotionally upset mm. this is how attention becomes compassion and we're not talking about blind compassion you know and all of that but a certain state of being sort of mind where we can really pay attention to really see the other person that's what really in my understanding really means to be seen many of us want to be seen so badly right yeah and that means because we haven't been we want to be attuned to we want to be attuned to exactly we didn't receive that attunement or this attention in childhood yeah yeah exactly so this requires you know genuine interest and curiosity it requires openness to all emotions and also you know the more that you can be with your own difficult emotions with full acceptance with even self-compassion there's a really famous practice called tonglin in buddhism where you just feel and breathe into your emotions and you let them go. That's also important to do in relationship as well. So, you know, when we, and, and to really understand that any um, emotions that you feel are unacceptable in other people, besides like abuse, you know, like, or whatever, you know, like, some things that will naturally make any human being want to shut down, um, is that what will exile in other people? So if I'm uncomfortable with anger, I'm going to also get uncomfortable attuning to someone when they're angry. If I'm uncomfortable with sadness, I'm also going to reject people when they're sad around me. So all of this relates to early developmental trauma, which I'll talk about in the second hour. So you want to move on to the second point, honey? Yeah, let's go to the second one. Yeah, acceptance. So this means you're embraced as worthy and you approve and validate the person. So you don't try and change your partner into something that you want. It's validating someone even if you do not agree. So this is really big because, and this was relates to the anima anima stuff that we're going to talk about later. I think we've talked about another podcast. We're going to touch on it again. Um, is that you really need to like, if you married someone, if you're friends with someone, if you're in a relationship with someone, you know, you entered into a relationship with them for specific reasons. And what happens though, is as we develop intimacy, we will battle by trying to change our partner into our ideal image which goes against their character, which goes against their astrology chart. It doesn't mean that people can't change and we can't be a part of that growth process, but it's forcing someone to change, of trying to make people change in ways that we don't, they don't even want to change. So if I'm like with a highly intellectual person and I'm like, I wish you would be more emotional, it's like they're a highly intellectual person. Maybe they can get more in tune with their emotions, but you're never going to change this pr basic functioning of their personality. They can change if they decide to with time, but it's not up to us to tell someone that they need to change. Yeah, I think the struggle with this acceptance is because, we, again, we talked about this in a previous podcast. Really check that out. It was podcast, I believe, number 85 from Karmic and Toxic Relationships to Divine Union, where we talk about this romantic phase, which everybody is, quote-unquote, subjected to in the beginning of a relationship, where these idealized images, this positive shadow projections, the golden shadows, Carl Jung would, see, would say, are being projected onto each other, mm -hmm. right? So it is ideal image, and then as a, a relationship uh, continuous growth over months and even years, then the, sh um, the projections fall away and the real person emerges. 
And then if we're not aware, again, have the self-awareness of shadow projection, of relationship psychology, our own stuff, our idealized image then becomes mistaken for the real person or what we would like them to be. And then we'd forcefully trying to change the other person into this image we have of them, which the other person would never, ever be able to do. It's not their job to do. Yeah. Right. So we need to really move into this acceptance. Yeah of the other person as he or she is, which doesn't mean, again, that there cannot be room for growth and, and compromise and all of that, but we need to have a fundamental, unquestionable, unconditional acceptance of the other person. Yeah, and I have to say that, you know, to withdraw your projections at this stage of a romantic relationship requires a sacrifice. It requires a sacrifice of your projections, basically. And when you sacrifice your projections, Carl Jung calls it withdrawing the projections, you'll naturally actually feel depressed because all of that psychic energy that you were expending outwards has to go inward so that you can understand the true cause of that. So it requires like there is a literal sacrifice of your ideal image of what a person should be in relationship that needs to be given up and making that sacrifice tends to create a depression. Eventually when working and withdrawing your projections, your self energy will return to you, meaning they will help you on the individuation process to to withdraw your projections at this level. But I'm, it's, it's easier said than done is what I'm trying to say. And then you have to also sacrifice your ideal limits for relationships, your kind of ideal that this partner is going to come in and just fix everything for you and you're just going to be happy for the rest of your life. It's not going to happen. However, when you start to withdraw your relationship, uh, when you start to with withdraw your projections, then a true ability for a relationship between two real individuated people can arise and that's really the magic you know that's what a lot of people are looking for and when they say they look for a conscious relationship they're looking for a relationship with an individuated person so basically that um we talk about acceptance is also relates to approval and validation right yeah in a sense and as david rico writes acceptance is unconditional since it means validating someone's choices and lifestyles even when we do not agree with them mm. so that's very important to understand what well, doesn't mean for example if your partner's lifestyle is like he wants to have multiple partners you don't well this is a difference in value so that needs to be understood as well it doesn't mean that you just accept it and go along with it if it doesn't it's not part of your value but if you got into a relationship with that person to begin with and they were like that and then you try and change it it was that, part of the deal in the beginning exactly so it's exactly so you need to be clear so you have to accept because here's the thing again the relationship ties into this process called differentiation which is very important because when we, in the beginning of a relationship romantic phase we're more we talked about this again in the last podcast we're more what it calls symbiosis symbiosis we're more merged everything is one so to speak it's this bliss but then the differentiation phase is important where everybody can be remember the th three areas be a true unique individual with their own even opinions Uh, feelings, desires, and all of that, which may differ from the partner. And very insecure people or people who are, uh, you know, also based on trauma, you know, want or even from basic narcissism, try to make the other partner into almost a mirror image of themselves. Yes. Right? So the other person has to be like, want, and, you know, exact the same thing as, Because, because so. the differentiation threatens the symbiosis and they're not willing to move into that stage. So yeah. if we're trying to force our partner to be exactly like us, it's because a part of us is like unlikely unwilling to give up the symbiosis. We're scared of that differentiation stage. And a lot of couples actually break up after the symbiosis yes. ends and they're called to differentiate and they don't know how to conflict resolve. They don't know how to accept the person as their own person. I see it happen all the time. Like literally people get in and you're like, oh my God, they're madly in love. And then like, you know, three months to two years later, they're broken up and you're like, what happened? Well, they didn't differentiate and they weren't able to learn how to really, you know, go through that second phase where the romantic projection falls. You need to learn conflict resolution. You need to learn listening skills, communication skills. In the symbiosis romantic phase, it's usually pretty easy because we have all of these hormones rushing through us, these feel good hormones of falling in love hormones, oxytocin, you know, but eventually as the relationship becomes more stable, this is when true intimacy can really arise. That's when the skills really matter the most. And if you miss that, then there's all sorts of distortions that can come later on in the relationship, including trying to hold on to the symbiosis stage, you're trying to change the partner. 
Yeah, so that's very important. So first we have the attention, like as David Rico writes here, in attention, in attention you're heard and noticed. In acceptance, you're embraced as worthy, not compared to your siblings or anyone, but trusted, empowered, understood, and fully approved as you are in your uniqueness. It kind of helps to individuate, right? And this uh, acceptance and validation approval is so important because many of us did not receive this in our childhood. Many uh, parents vicariously try to live through their children. They try to get their own unfulfilled needs met through the uh, through the child, right? And then didn't accept the child as he or she is. Mm. So that's this approval is necessary component of self esteem on the basic level. However, it also can be become toxic or problem when we give up our true self just to find approval, seeking, right? Especially mm -hmm. on social media and all of that, when you're just so insecure and have created a false self to get more this dopamine-infusing approval all the time. But it's a healthy adult need as well. Okay, so the next one is appreciation. So this gives depth to the acceptance part we just spoke about. This means you admire, respect, and appreciate the person as unique. Uh, and we all need this for self-worth and confidence. So appreciation and gratitude go hand in hand. So Bernhard and I do this like a lot, especially when we feel that our, you know, relationship because we work together is like struggling, you know, and we just do this thing where twice a day we show each other either in words or gifts of service, whatever our love language is, ways that we appreciate the, the other person. And we do this twice a day. And it's really huge. It makes such a big difference. It makes the other partner feel better. Your relationship feels better. So if you're in a relationship, that's something you can do. Just be like, hey, let's do this, uh, you know, daily double for twice a day. Let's just do things that we appreciate. It can be anything. You can like go and help them with a chore that's usually theirs. Just words, you know, telling them that just anything that makes them feel appreciated. The important thing is try and nail something in their area. So for me, I love like acts of service. Bernhard likes words of appreciation. It's different to, for other people. Um, and he mentions even in the book, you know, this is John Gottman, that the ratio of appreciation to complaint in couples that stay together is five to one, meaning five pieces of appreciation for every one complaint. <laughs> so if you've been criticizing and complaint heavy, This is a really good way to just kind of shift the energy in your relationship really fast. Doesn't mean you're not going to come up into growth edges, especially if you guys have been battling it out, you know, but if you can just genuinely find something that you appreciate about them, you know, do things for each other that are nice, it can really help you kind of ease some of the tension in your relationship. So, you know, um, and behind, and he even mentions too in the book that beneath every complaint is a lack of the five A's. So you're complaining because you don't feel you've been getting enough attention. You don't feel accepted. You don't feel appreciated. You're missing affection. And then you're missing allowing, which we're going to come in the, in, in, we're going to talk about in a moment. So just to keep aware of that. And so I'm going to move on to the next yes, one, if that's yes, okay. Yeah. Speaking of the next one. So the next one is affection. Yeah. Which is basically affection, as the name implies, love can be loving touch, physical touch and embrace. And it's very important to understand actually that the root, root word for affection comes from affect, which means feeling. So affection refers closeness both on the physical and the feeling level. So that's 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 a key point as well because again it goes back to childhood many of us maybe even the older generations specifically didn't receive affection you know it was almost taboo uh, to you know be too physically or to to hug your child or just let it cry out don't cuddle it you know what i mean more this stoic upbringing so to speak and that reminds me of another research uh, that I studied or learned uh, in my years as a professional body worker, massage therapist called The Human Significance of Skin. And it was fascinating research. And I want to just mention this real quick because it's so important. The affection is so key, is so, so much needed. Um, uh, because really a, a touch, I know for myself, you know, uh, I have been touch deprived in childhood and sometimes just receiving a nurturing massage, a hug from my wife, from Laura, or just put her hand on my shoulder or anywhere, like helps me to write, to calm my nervous system and kind of feel embraced, I feel loved, right? Because it is nurturing touch is as needed as food, as oxygen and and any physical food as uh, one of my bodywork mentors said, based on this book I just mentioned, The Human Significance of Skin, 
And um, the author, I uh, forgot the name right now, but you can look it up, mentioned some research that came out in the early 20th century in a orphanage um, where there were infants actually, orphanage, like dozens of infants. And many of them all of a sudden died and there was no cause, like mysterious death of many of these infants. And what they realized, shockingly, there were so there were so many orphans. I think there was some one time around uh, World War One or something around that time that uh, the orphanage was understaffed and couldn't really take care of the infants. And what they realized that these infants died because of touch deprivation. They were not cuddled enough. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of research that shows as well that a lot of our psychological issues, our relationship issues, our sexual issues, our traumas are related of not being touched enough. Yes. You know, of having this nurturing touch in childhood as an infant. You know, you look at uh, modern birth, the mother, the baby is being ripped from the mom right away, you know, in the sterile hospital and all of that. So, um, and then obviously there's the other side of the equation, like, pathological wrong touch right which ties into molestation even sexual abuse and whatnot but touch deprivation is so key so many of us we need nurturing touch we need this affection from our partners that's why even i'm a big fan of of body work not just for the physical um, benefits but also receiving that nurturing touch because that is really much missing in this day and age especially nowadays with the lockdowns everybody's afraid of each other being walking germs and, and the social distancing that creates more trauma in the long run. So we really need to, um, you know, embody or bring this, especially in our close relationships. And if we're not comfortable with it, be open to inquiring why, what needs to happen, you know, because uh, I know for myself, you know, having a lot of non-nurturing touch, a lot of sexually exploitive touch in my history, you know, I don't want to be touched by just anyone, but I do get regular body work and I am a very affectionate person and I have to open up to that trust and safety again. So the last one I'm going to go into it because I, I know we're wrapping up here is allowing. This means we're allowed to be ourselves. We allow the other person to be themselves, the true self, not the false self. So that's the last A. So we had the acceptance, appreciation, affection, and allowing, oh, and attention, attunement. So all of these are really crucial for relationships. So do you want to talk a little bit about the allowing? Yeah, allowing also on the very basic level simply means to let the other person be without controlling them. A lot of uh, control issues come up in relationship as well, which goes back to our childhood again and, and childhood trauma and all of this when our parents have been maybe controlling with ourselves. So it's really allowing the other person to be and without our need to control every step. You know, most controlling people, as David Rico writes in his book, cannot help themselves. They are not in control of the controlling. They are not insulting us by trying, or they are not insulting us by trying to control us. Rather, they automatically take charge and dominate people in situations. They do this because of a chilling fear that they cannot handle letting the chips fall where they may. So that's very important. Like, um, and we can become very controlling and overly fearful of life when we have uh, uh, taken on beliefs of ancestral trauma, even from our parents, when life wasn't safe. You know, when the parents' view, worldview was, they always have to be careful, be prepared, you know, if, uh, are you able to take care of yourself and all of this, which comes from a well-meaning place, but it's most often fear-based and teaches us that the uh, world or life is not safe, right? So we're always you know, in on the trauma response, on the lookout, and then we then also try to control others, our partners, our children in, in general, because of this unconscious fear. So allowing also goes even deeper, takes a deeper step and brings us into spirituality, brings us into the divine, brings us into deeper faith and trust in life, in something bigger than our just our ego, because the ego likes to control because it's in a state of fear of separation and all of that, but it's an illusion because you will never able to, able to fully to control. Allowing also means to let a person go if it's, things are not working. You know, there's only so much we can do also in a relationship. And if we start to control each other, we're missing a deeper point. Also, allowing also is, or let me put it this way, the foundation for allowing requires having trust in a relationship also based on faith and all of that and uh, the trust is built by the you know the other four a's we just mentioned before 
Yeah, so I think that's a lot for people to think about. Yeah. You know, just ask yourself, like, you know, where's my attention? Am I able to attune to my partner? Am I able to embrace them as worthy? Am I able to see them as their own person without trying to change them? Am I able to appreciate them and show words of appreciation? And if you've been kind of locked in a negative cycle of criticism with your partner, because you guys have been in lockdown for a while and it's been getting to you, you know, then look at, look at doing this daily double thing that we recommended two times a day. Each of you has to say something that you appreciate about the other person or do something appreciative for the other person. And then, you know, affection, like how's your relationship with affection? Is there something that's getting in the way of it that you need to, are you not showing affection when you feel drawn to show affection? Why is that? You know, always develop a curious state of mind towards yourself and the other person. So if you're not fulfilling these five A's in your relationship, don't beat yourself up. Don't go into shame spirals. There's stuff on this that we improve on in our relationship every day. But get curious, and we're going to talk more about that in the second hour, some things that can definitely impair your relating, how that relates to developmental trauma. And then allowing, like, are you able to allow someone to be their true self? How do you respond to when your partner is their true self? You know, all of these are just questions of inquiry, things to reflect on, and things to hopefully apply to your relationships so that you can improve your relationships, because we are really in this critical time of needing to improve our relationships. We've had this major divide, you know, I think that, you know, it's going to be up to us who are interested in growth and becoming more, bringing more conscious to our activities to bridge that gap, you know, and also just, we are in this crisis of relationships. I can't tell you how many times I've had sessions with people who want to be in a healthy relationship, but either deny that need or think that they don't deserve it or all these other things, you know? So this takes work. It takes effort and it's totally available to everyone. In fact, it's a necessity for your health to develop better relationships. So we hope that you found something great in this podcast that you can apply to improve your relationships. As always, we're going to go into a second hour, which is for memberships for members of the Veil of Reality uh, membership platform only. If you want to become a member and develop and get access to every second hour of all of our podcasts, I think we have over 80 now, then you go to veilofreality.com and go under become a member. Where is it, honey? Yeah, in the membership section. Yeah, in the membership tab. section. And you can listen to the second hour. And as we mentioned in the second hour, which we're about to record right now, we're going to go into developmental trauma and anima animus work, which is really taking it to a deeper level. So we hope you see some of you guys there and... Yes. And then, yeah, we go deeper into actually all the things that can be in the way of healthily embracing the five A's towards ourselves and towards our partners. So definitely go deeper into it. And uh, if you're not already a member, sign up at my website, veilofreality.com. See you on the other side. <laughs>